beautiful man. Beautiful. Welcome to Cruising It, the podcast where we watch and discuss all of Tom Cruise's films in chronological order. I'm your host, Donovan Bruce, and with me is Andrew Mount. At least I had your ass over the grinder, and it's okay enough to thank me, shithead. And Mason Kuzmich. What? <laughs> <laughs> On today's episode, we are talking about Taps, a military drama starring Timothy Hutton, Sean Penn, and of course, Tom Cruise. And I don't think any of us had seen this before watching it when we recorded before and lost everything, but... Right. uh What'd you guys think? Well, it's pretty similar to my experience with Endless Love, um, where it was, I had low expectations, and it kind of overperformed my expectations. Um, it was actually a movie that was trying to be about something, which is good. Um, and then we recorded a podcast episode on it, and we lost it. And I hate <laughs> that I have to think about it again for another hour while we record. Yeah, so that part of it's rough. But, um, no, I hadn't seen it before. Uh, I actually had some expectations coming into it. Because I'd looked it up and it was, I, I guess I say weirdly because, you know, you, Donnie, had kind of talked it up as being one of the not so great Tom Cruise movies, but it actually had some decent reviews and decent ratings. I mean, um, I, I think, I think it, I didn't necessarily talk up this one specifically as being bad. I just kind of said everything before Top Gun that wasn't risky business is probably not going to be very good. I'm pretty sure losing it and endless love <laughs> are the only two that I talked up as being bad. And I still maintain that after seeing them. So, Oh, that's fair. Cruising, oh. it, <laughs> cruising it. Spoilers. Yeah, we'll get there. It's not good folks. Anyway, mm. um, losing it, not taps. Taps is actually pretty good. Yes. Taps. I enjoyed, uh, like I said, I had some expectations because I tried to look it up beforehand and it, it met them. It, and, it met them and exceeded them to some degree. It was it was both about something and it wasn't just a concept. It kind of took the concept that it was about and sort of analyzed it, criticized it, and gave you something to think about, which I liked. Yeah. I hadn't seen this before. I had seen the scene that the uh, the quote at the beginning of this episode was, the, the, it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. Uh-huh. And seeing that scene made me think that the plot of this movie was going to be way different than it was. Yeah, that must have made it seem like an exciting movie. <laughs> yeah, I I kind of thought like everyone was shooting at everybody and it was just like a little war, but it was not that. Not like this is the literal last thing that happens in this movie. <laughs> yeah. But I will say that was a great scene. It was. But we'll get to it. Yeah. And on that note, let's get into our discussion of TAPS. Bunker Hill Military Academy has just concluded another school year. Cadet Brian Moreland, a junior, meets privately with the Academy Commandant, retired Brigadier General Harlan Bache. Bache promotes Moreland to Cadet Major, the Paramount Rake at BHMA. Bache also reflects on the time when he was a cadet at West Point, Moreland's intended college, as well as a graduate of BHMA prior to that, and how he dreads his forthcoming retirement. Moreland is congratulated first by his friend Cadet Captain Alex Dwyer, as well as by Cadet Captain David Sean and Cadet Lieutenant Edward West. Sean leads the celebration in the hallway. The commencement proceeds with a parade and a pass-in review. 
There were a lot of red flags here. Yeah, there's definitely some <laughs> things already starting to go no. wrong at the beginning of the movie. Just the so, children, uh, the really young children doing this military military academy shit. And just to, to, be, to be clear, Cadet Brian Moreland is played by Timothy Hutton. Mm. Uh, Alex Dwyer is Sean Penn. David Sean is Tom Cruise. And Edward West is Giancarlo Esposito or Gus from Breaking Bad, as most mm. people probably know. It, so just so everyone is aware. Yeah. But yeah, so uh, I should clarify early on, because uh, I'll probably spend a lot of time in this movie shitting on this, um, shitting on the culture of this school specifically. Uh, I'm not necessarily shitting on like military culture in general, because I think the movie does differentiate between them. But there's like this really weird, like performative aspects to like what they're doing here at this military school that mm-hmm. is really creepy with kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with cadet captain david sean tom cruise's character yes because his celebration down the hallway is basically he has his entire little squadron like lined up on the hallway saluting timothy hutton's character while he goose steps down the hallway between them yeah. like super seriously and it's very i no. It, of, I'm, of, I'm going and, i'm going to make a i think a, on more than one occasion i'm going to make some uh nazi germany uh comparisons because okay. I, I got a lot of that from a lot of the really military and that, that could just be military in general but the, the first thing i think about when i see some of these military processions they do is that like old footage of like the nazi army like walking past hitler like saluting him and stuff like that like that's just the first thing that popped in my head when i watched this movie so not trying well, to compare way to the get in- political yeah. donny wow <laughs> classic donny bringing in the politics and, and no, I get what you, you're know, you know what folks you know yeah. what folks he got mad at me the first time we did this for saying this shit was fascistic no metagaming i got <laughs> you put politics in everything this one is acceptable oh. <laughs> all right yeah I, anyway no i mean yeah, i agree we with won't you. have they're, this argument on there they are they're, they're very extra with those portions of it. And again, I think the movie subtly differentiates between like like what an actual military culture would be versus like what this school is doing, which is something different. Like there's something about the way that these kids are thinking of themselves and their experience about this school, which is not correct and which leads to disaster for them. Or at the very least is noted by um, – because they do have some military folks come in later who then say, hey, this isn't worth doing this for. But – they they take this ideal of honor or whatever it is that they're talking about and they apply it very specifically to this school for reasons that we'll get into. Um, but yeah, no, it definitely gets in it Tom Cruise's character definitely plays, especially early on, is very fascistic and only intensifies that as the movie goes on. Apologies if any of the dog growling is coming through on the recording. I have puppies. No apologies. <laughs> you listen to the puppies. They're beautiful. I mean, they are, but... Continuing on, following the ceremonies, General Bache announces that BHMA's Board of Trustees is selling the school to real estate developers. The school will remain open for one year in order to allow the seniors to graduate and give the underclassmen time to apply to other schools. The delay gives many cadets hope that BHMA can be saved. Bache also hopes that the Institute can be saved as he remarks to Moreland, we are here and the condos are not. So at this point, I uh, mistakenly thought that this was this movie was going to follow the plot of like Brink or something, where it's like, <laughs> oh my god, we have to save our school or business or like whatever, and we need to raise a bunch of money. And I like that that's we went how to we're going to do it. I mean, I don't know. Puppin Suds, we're all Team Puppin Suds, right, guys? Yeah, definitely Team X Place, but but, we'll uh, but that is conversation. not. Yeah, so it's just <laughs> up this conflict of like, yeah, we need money to keep the school open, or maybe it's not specifically money. I don't know, but um, mm. it definitely goes in a different direction. Well, I don't know from from, from the sound of it. The board of just trustees just 
decided to sell the school like yeah. one day so i, I it, it sounds to me like it's done well so this is and i know i talked about this last time but this is something that strikes me as something that wouldn't happen in real life because like in my mind and maybe this is a, just a much more yeah, a result of much more recent culture surrounding you know military related shit but it definitely seems to me like if this happened in modern times if especially we're talking about a military school run by a what seems to be at least somewhat respected you know retired military man um you're less likely to see hey we're gonna tear it all down for condos and more like uh you know west point brought to you by adidas or some shit i just want to um i just want to co-sign west point brought to you by adidas <laughs> i think that bunker hill brought to you yes i bunker hill bunker hill military academy brought to you by pornhub yeah. But, I mean, this right here, the whole thing where Bash is talking to Moreland and saying, you know, we're here in the condos or not, that really kind of sets up what happens the rest of the movie. Like, mm-hmm. General Bash is kind of responsible for everything that happens in this movie, in, in a sense. Just the culture he kind of, especially, he seems to have, like, a pretty close relationship with Moreland and seems to, I don't know. Moreland seems to almost have, like, a like a worship thing about General Bash and just follows everything he says as like the word of god right and i think part of what the the movie gets at and part of what the idea that it's criticizing is that you know you put kids kids especially um people who aren't you know fully formed in their ability to think for themselves or kind of make their own decisions into something like this and you indoctrinate them like this they're going to like it's going to break them on some level mentally and we kind of see that going on with the students as as the movie progresses yeah and i'm like a little you know maybe even a little more you know agnostic about like the whole military school thing in general like if that's like a great idea or what i don't know maybe it is but uh, i agree with you i think they set up base as somebody who um has treated these kids in a certain way and you know treats oh is it timothy hutton who's the main yeah moreland yeah, yeah treats him you know like he's a second in command like officer you know he mm-hmm. He has a military school, and he's really leaning into the military part maybe a lot more than, like, the school part. It feels like there's a lot of, like, essential wisdom that he has not conveyed to these children, but he has just, like, made them part of an army or something. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't really get a ton of the school aspect. All I got was a lot of military marching and clearly weapons training with these well. children. But, you know, very militaristic. And I have a feeling that's not what military school is like, but... Once again, never been, so can't say that 100%. I would like to think that's not how military schools are. Anyone uh, who's attended military school, please tweet at us. Give us your uh, your yeah. thoughts. Uh, at ben hashtag, <laughs> oh, well, we'll get to that. <laughs> hashtag uh, my military experience. At uh, cruising it pod. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I will say it made me think a lot about... There, oh, I'm going to catch so much shit. I went to A&M. We have Texas some, A&M. Texas A&M. <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, we have something there called the Corps of Cadets, which, uh, for those of you who don't know, is just kind of the on-campus ROTC program. And they're very intense. And there's this – this made me think of them a lot in the sense that it's almost like, you know, it's a bunch of people who don't really know what the military is like playing soldier. Like – and that leads to some bad shit. Yeah. 
like I said, there, there, you know, there's something weird about the performative aspect of the mm-hmm. whole thing in this movie. Um, I'll say that everything that I know about real life military school comes from Cadet Kelly, the um, Hillary Duff <laughs> movie on Disney. And well, that's 100 percent accurate. Yeah, I think so. Uh, also, it had Christy Carlson Romano. I from feel like Impossible. neither one of these movies <laughs> and are Stevens. accurate. However, I will, are you telling me Hillary Duff I'm was g- lying to I'm me? I'm going to assume that of the two, Taps might be closer than Cadet <laughs> Kelly. I don't know. Who knows? But I, I mean, know, Cadet Kelly, the- it's like she wanted to paint her nails, but then she had to crawl in mud. That's like right. a big problem, There's guys. That, do you remember that time, mm. that scene where Cadet Kelly put a bag over an inmate's head and took pictures while like wailing on their genitals? No. Oh, sorry. I must have uh, watched yeah, a different movie. You're thinking of Abu <laughs> Ghraib, maybe? <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, that, that's right. That was Abu Ghraib. Cadet Kelly goes to Abu Ghraib. Mm-hmm. It was a sequel. The graduation ceremony is followed by a ball that evening. Outside the gates, a brawl erupts when several local teenagers harass the cadets, which escalates into one local assaulting a sentry. General Bache tries to break up the fight, but his service pistol is seized by one of the teens and the weapon discharges, killing a second teen. Although the magazine had been removed, a round was still in the chamber. Bache is arrested and charged with manslaughter. However, the trauma of the, event, of the event combined with the arrest triggered a heart attack and Bache is hospitalized in critical condition. The board of trustees closes BHMA immediately. This scene is fucking absurd. Like, yeah. yeah bad luck for Bache. Uh, not a lot of good gun safety here, um, especially having bullets in there. Yeah, let, let's, uh, there are, and you become yeah. a murderer by the yeah, end Let's just scene. talk about a, a military general who has a service pistol that is easily taken away by just a random dude who's... Just some random random teenager from like the neighborhood or whatever, and also doesn't clear the chamber. Like removes the magazine and doesn't clear the chamber. I feel like any military personnel would in real life would not do that. Yeah, but what if you need to shoot a kid that night? Well, well, he did shoot a kid that night. I know. I mean, well, he didn't. Technically, so, he didn't, but so he is still very much he, responsible yes, for he's a murder. He well, got convicted of murder, manslaughter. Manslaughter. It's slightly uh, different. manslaughter is third degree murder, isn't it? Murder is a different charge. Yeah, I think manslaughter is different than murder. Uh, Yeah, right into us, because I'm pretty sure third degree murder is manslaughter. Law and order has taught me well. Okay. Oh, we're going with law and order. All right. Look it up, Donnie. Anyway, um, I mean... There's just so much. First off, I mean, uh, obviously, we all, as as kids, remember hanging, you know, as high schoolers, remember hanging outside our local military academy, shouting at the people going in. I, I do remember that was our usual Friday night. Um, but okay. First off, this service pistol thing. Holsters are generally designed so that people can't just walk up behind you and pull your gun. Uh. Be, this really I plays. Mean, he didn't really have like what we think of as holsters. Now it was really That's just kind true. of like a little like leather a flap pad, cloth. Yeah, a little flat leather flap that was obviously not very secure. That's true. Which is also something still. weird that you know a military general would be carrying it around in an unsecured holster like that. Yes. Also, to go back to our brief uh, argument about third degree murder versus manslaughter, uh, there's <laughs> oh no such God. thing as third degree murder. There's oh, law and order lied to me. <laughs> there's first degree murder, second degree murder, voluntary manslaughter, and involuntary manslaughter. So this would mm, be involuntary manslaughter. Law and order was probably being rhetorical. Mm, I don't know. If, I'm going to say that a negligent homicide could be a manslaughter, and I feel like homicide and murder are like the same things. Well, legally, they're not. What's the well, difference? Lawyered. I, the difference is the sentence you get. Also, th- also, the difference is the intent. Well, what's the what's the difference between homicide and murder? Here, I will, I will, I will go over briefly 
the oh degrees of murder in the United States. All right, this is important. There's first degree murder, which is an intentional murder that was premeditated. Hell okay. Yeah. There is second degree murder, which is an intentional murder, but it was not premeditated or planned. So, okay. like, you just got really pissed in the moment and then strangled the shit out of them, yeah, bang their head against yeah, the wall, like, and they'll never find the body. Yeah. And then there's voluntary manslaughter or a crime of passion, mm-hmm. which is an intentional killing that has, like, no... Okay. So, sorry. Second degree murder is intentional murder with malice aforethought, but it's not premeditated or planned in advance. Okay. Whereas voluntary manslaughter is, like, a crime of passion. There's no intent, there's no intent to kill... There, it's okay, an intentional so, killing that, no, that does not involve any prior intent and which was committed under such circumstances that would cause a reasonable person to become emotionally or mentally disturbed. Okay, so voluntary manslaughter is the is what I just said. Yes. Though. And the second degree murder is something that honestly doesn't sound like it exists because... Well, it, it's, it's, I guess that... Second w- degree murder is I got mad at you because we're in an argument, so I took a gun out and I shot you and killed you. But um, not like I planned t- t- today. I'm going to kill you tomorrow. It's not premeditated, right? Yeah, it's okay. It, yeah, I mean, it's 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 second degree murder would be like you chose to kill someone, but it wasn't because you became so emotionally disturbed based on what was happening that you just like did it right then. Like it, it's it's like you know, I guess like. You just like snapped and you did it as opposed to voluntary manslaughter where it's like, I'm you, mad and I push you and okay, you like so fall like, down the stairs and die. So like you no. just insulted my dog. Hang on. Wait here a moment. And then you come back with a knife. Yeah. No, because what you just described would not be voluntary manslaughter because there was no intent to kill. You shoved them because you got mad and they accidentally died. You weren't intent unless you. I thought you said voluntary had vo- no volu- intent to kill. No, vo- voluntary is an intentional killing, but there's no prior intent. To all you folks, involuntary manslaughter is the one where there's no intention to kill and it's accidental. Welcome to Murdercast. <laughs> to all you folks who are actually charged with these crimes, consult a lawyer, not a podcast. Yeah, this uh, this small thing I was <laughs> going over. Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh wait, there is third degree. Oh, like, involuntary manslaughter is like if I'm drunk and I run you over with my car. Yeah, well, involuntary okay. manslaughter is yeah entirely unintentional, so accidental killings. So there is thing. no like federal third degree murder, but some states, such as Pennsylvania, is the one they give an example here. They do have third degree murder where. First degree is premeditated, second degree is an accomplice liability, and third degree is a catch-all for anything else. Sounds like manslaughter can be <laughs> third degree murder, bitches. Andrew wins. Woo! Anyways, this was unintentional. This was involuntary manslaughter. He did not intend for this kid to die. So weird aside. He did. He did. Welcome so, to Murdercast. <laughs> he did. I do agree with the fact that he did get arrested because it was his his improper gun safety that resulted in the death of a kid, so it is his fault. However, I don't know if they arrested the kid who actually shot the other kid. Yeah, it, Boy, it, they sure I should have. Well, I don't so, know if they would have caught him though, right? Right, it was like a big mob. And yeah, I, I guess what strikes me about this is that this is one of those things, and the way it's made, it's one of those things where you know it can never be intentional, right? Like these weird. It has to be a very accidental thing. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm sorry. Yeah, cut me neither. The, I'm kind of lost. Yeah, keep what, it in. Well, what is your point? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Just continue. Just All keep right. going. Since Bache is ill, Moreland meets with the officers of the Cadet Corps, and they take control of Bunker Hill. The Dean of Students arrives with the local sheriff to empty the armory. They find the weapons in the hands of an armed 
cadre. Oh, I, cadre. I, I, cadre. Cadre. Okay. I mispronounced Cater. that last time too. Catery. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Led by Major Moreland, who demands to meet with General Beige and the trustees so that BHMA will be kept open. The dean and sheriff are escorted off the campus by armed cadets who secure the perimeter. Let's talk about this armory. This Holy is amazing. Shit. This, is, this is exactly what you want at a military academy. Loads of M16s, mortars. Yeah, there, uh, there, there is a scene before Moreland and the other people are in the armory where they're kind of doing like a little inventory beforehand. And they definitely mention M16s and mortars, which I... Once again, don't know much about military school. If you have been to military school, please let us know. Do you have mortars? So that feels you shouldn't have mortars. You shouldn't have wrong. Mortars. I don't know about mortars. I know, um, and again, the closest I've ever come to this is being at Texas A&M with the Corps of Cadets. There, they did have actually a small supply of it was like small caliber versions of M16s. Um, so it wasn't. It was not this. Yeah. Well, I mean, but it's some. It's something it, for if like it's live a mili- fire. If it's a military school, I would expect them to have firearms because yeah. I feel like right. you know firearm training is part of military, and if you go to military school, you're going to get military training. However, mortars, which are like wartime weapons, why in the hell would you have to have those? At a, you got to train. This is basically a high school. You got to train in case like, of, in case of a right, situation like this. Yeah, like like right. Yeah, this where is, you need to overthrow the American government to keep your military school <laughs> to keep open. your school open. Like, yeah, I mean, nerds. I'm, I'm just I'm just checking the 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 Bunker Hill Military Academy. That this is essentially just a high school, right? Well, yeah, it's more it than is. that. It looks like high school and middle school. I think from the ages well, of the kids. These are legally children yeah. at this place. These okay. are not adults. Yeah, so you know, sorry, it's not like a military college or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so, no, like West Point. Right at that point. Like, because, you know, you're just talking about the core, which is in college where everyone's 18 mm-hmm. and up and they have live weapons, stuff like that. These are like, some of the kids look like 12 mm-hmm. up to like, you know, Moreland, who might be like 17, 18. But yeah, well, he's yeah. about to go to college. I mean, yeah. they, they talk about him wanting to go to West Point. Yeah, but it, I just feel like this armory is just fucking ridiculous for a high school. Hey, it could be ridiculous, sir. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's insane. And this is where it gets crazy because yes. they're just like they just have a bunch of kids who are like yep we're just going to point assault rifles at all of these guys who have come in to shut down the school and i think there's oh, like this scene was so intense there's police officers there too right yeah, yeah the, the sheriff so was there you're yeah. already drawing on law enforcement and, well, and then it's you, just pretty yeah. pretty wackadoodle well okay. then you've got tom cruise's character like I, i'm sorry because this is tom cruise's character standing up there issues an order and they all do it in unison and like that's a, it's a very intense scene. It's very well done. It's very German. I say that. Oh, okay, sure. <laughs> um, but no, it's very well done. It really adds to the intensity and also kind of points out the extent to which they've trained these kids to do this. Hmm. And yeah, another thing, I don't, there's not, there, there is like a small group of people that they show escorting out, which I'm assuming is like the staff or something. But for the size, the amount of cadets and the size of the school, there's really not that many authority figures right yeah is he like the only was base the only goddamn teacher well it was it was summer I mean, too so i think i think a lot of the teachers well, had probably left it was about to be summer i thought i thought the school year was about to open i thought that's what that program was was that was like the opening ceremony for school i thought they just came back from summer they might have i thought so and i may just have to look this up i thought it, i thought their march there was like kind of the ending ceremony um i could be wrong well they, well because they were they kept talking about how no it was the beginning because there okay. was there was a scene where like where tom cruise is talking to 
I think it was Tom Cruise. They, they're, they're talking. They're like, oh, yeah, this is our year. This is the year where we that's right. th- we control this school because we're the seniors and we're the we're officers. Because we're going to seize control from <laughs> and the now legal the school authorities. Ours, and soon, the, all of America but in, are going to follow Cliven Bundy's but, example. But anyways, the only authority figures we actually meet and have like a name at, at all is like there's the dean who's in there with the sheriff. And then there's General Beige. And then there's like this random group of people that they bus out. It's maybe like five or six people. It's not that many. And outside of that, I guess the kids are like the senior level kids are in charge because they I know they, they do have like a military like, you know, hierarchy where, you know, like Moreland and Sean and all them are yeah. superior officers, heavy quotation marks. But so this may just be the point where, you know, it's it's a movie and it's unrealistic and they just kind of want to show that they're leading people out. Yeah, maybe but, they just glossed over yeah. all of that. I don't know. Or maybe this movie is a perfect uh, representation of reality, and there are small institutions around our country training children oh. to secede from the country. You know, uh, I'm sorry, that was Cadet Kelly. Oh, yeah, you're right. That was <laughs> Cadet Kelly. There's a reason her stepdad had that mustache, all right? Hmm. Uh, hang on. Continue. More cadets, more cadets are sent to a local warehouse for the purpose of restocking BHMA's provisions, but one of the trucks breaks down on the way back. As Dwyer is fixing the engine, townies surround the truck, demanding vengeance for the death of their friend. Sean fires several bursts from his M16 into the air, dispersing the mob. The cadets abandon the stalled truck, fleeing the scene in the second truck, ramming a police car that was blocking their path. I'm sorry, does this say that the townies were demanding vengeance for the death of their friend? Yes. Did they not steal a gun and then shoot their friend with it? Oh, of course, that's what the the report would say. That's what the report would say. That's what we saw happen. Well, yes. That is what happened. Yeah, they don't explain, they don't I guess maybe the rumors gone around that General Beish murdered this child. So, well, well, yeah, I mean, he had loaded guns. Well, he did commit third degree murder against this child, so... (laughs) I mean, this is also one of those things like, yeah, we saw that's what happened in this movie, but that's always what the report said would say too is that, you know, the shit was entirely unintentional or whatever else. People are going to be pissed about it because, you know, you have this entire group with loaded firearms and mortars for some reason and a kid died because of course they did because you have an entire school of children armed with rifles and mortars and shit. I mean, and yet it was the adult who killed the child. But the yeah, no. We also get. Um, I, I believe last time we recorded this, I, I I brought this part up as like things to, like the sign of things to come with Sean mm-hmm. with Tom Cruise's character. However, I'm I'm going to jump back a little bit because I think you kind of get a little bit of his personality when he does that little like celebration for Moreland for being like promoted or whatever, mm-hmm. like. This dude's like gung ho into this military shit. And he is. He he absorbed the uh, you know all of Basha's like the main character Timothy Hutton. Yeah, I'm I'm bad with actors, folks. Mor- I'm sorry. This is this Moreland. Is gonna, right, Moreland. This is the character's name. But yeah, this is going to be a running thing. I'm real bad with actors, mm. uh, but like his character definitely absorbed a lot of the like honor talk around uh, that Basha gave. But uh, Tom Cruise's character name David Sean. Cool. Uh, Spider Church? <laughs> uh, not not yet. And also not Tom Cruise. Um, but Tom Cruise's character definitely, like, absorbed that and then turned it the fuck up. Like, Yeah, he- I mean, I mean th- this, this scene, I guess, does kind of, like, it, it kind of shows he's a little unstable. 
I guess in the scene is when you really first see kind of how it's stable because I don't know just firing a live weapon just up into the air to disperse I don't know that just seemed and the, I think the other kids like I think like Dwyer even comments about like yeah. dude like what the fuck like yeah so the other thing though that this movie does is it kind of shows him as justified because for a second there this movie turns into a zombie movie like if if I'm remembering this correctly. When the town, when the townies, I guess, come out and shoobies, damn libtards, uh, come out and sur- <laughs> come out and surround the uh, these these trucks. <laughs> you got something? What's a libtard? <laughs> it's it's a stupid fuck. It's a stupid fucking portmanteau of yeah. Don't don't even worry about it. It's it's. Okay. Anyway, zombies. <laughs> Sorry, oh, zombies. Uh, Did I miss I'm, zombies in this movie? I'm ironically trying to mock people. Been great, but no, th- this becomes temporarily a zombie movie where where these the townies, shoobies, townsfolk, uh, surround <laughs> shooby dooby doo. Uh, the townsfolk surround these trucks and just start banging on them and start like almost like they want to kill these children. Which uh, they're demanding vengeance for the death of their friend. Sure, but <laughs> yeah, remember when all these kids murdered their friend? Yeah, sure, but they were all of these. We're, this, we're, guy, this is this is like a spontaneous mob because these trucks are stopped for more than a minute because this one can't fucking move. People start pouring out of these buildings and swarming again, and it just reminded me of a zombie movie, and then. Tom Cruise's character comes out and starts firing live rounds in the air and they all disperse. And it kind of shows it as being justified, at least within the movie, within the movie's logic, hmm. which I, I guess may be one of those things where they're trying to make, keep it ambiguous, at least for the moment. What? Well, then no, I'm confused. I lost track. Sorry. Keep it ambiguous. How? Where were they trying? Yeah, you've to- been making this point for the past 30 hours so (laughs) oh i apologize no what what were they trying to keep kind of the morality of the movie ambiguous like Mm. whose side you're supposed to be on oh yeah maybe like like, i think maybe they are at this point i think they clearly come down come down against the kids in the end but yeah yeah but like at this point i mean they show tom cruise's you know firing the rounds into the air it works almost showing the townsfolk as kind of a rabid mob that's entirely unreasonable to some extent because, again, they're attacking kids. Sure. And, you, and you're kind of thrilled at the prospect, right? There's a little bit of, like, Red Dawn here, you uh-huh. know, where, yeah. or just, like, playing paintball. And you're like, ooh, let's let's go, like, play war. And, like, what would I do if I was trying to, like, fortify my school? Hell and, yeah, it's time for Red know, Dawn. Let's take and, on the U.S. government. Hang on. And withstand a siege and, you know, all of that stuff. So I, I think you're right that in the beginning you're supposed to kind of be like, okay, Moreland has his hat on his shoulders. He's finding a good big business, try to, you know, develop his school, the real estate or whatever. Yeah, fucking um, capitalist. Honestly, at this point, I was afraid that the movie was going to go that way. Right. And I think the movie worked for me precisely because it didn't go that way. Hmm. The police surround the campus, but Sean oversees a defense of the wall, which turns into a standoff. A delegation of parents and trustees is admitted. The parents include Moreland's father, a master sergeant in the U.S. Army, who bluntly orders his son to end the standoff. He fails to sway Moreland. To show the police and parents that none of the boys are being held against their will, Moreland assembles the cadets and offers them a chance to walk out. They all choose to stay. The siege grows more tense when the National Guard, led by Colonel Kirby, arrives. Kirby negotiates with Moreland. The colonel admires the academy and does not wish to see it closed, but his loyalty is to the state legislature, which has been inundated with calls from concerned families and from locals who are scared by the standoff. Despite the colonel's diplomatic approach, he fails to sway Moreland. 
So I like the way that they put this here, that it's, you know, the, the what is it, the colonel of the National Guard or whatever, mm-hmm. that his uh, loyalty is to the state legislature, because I think that that's one of the thesis of the movies. What's the difference between, like, the real military guys and, like, these kids is this question of, like, well, who are you loyal to? Mm-hmm. Are you just, like, loyal to your school or, like, your friend? Yeah, because that was, that was his whole point. That, I mm-hmm. guess that his approach was, like, you know, I went to this school. I love this school. I don't want to see it close either, but I have a job. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a, yeah, I serve I'm, the I'm government. A, I'm right? a colonel of the servant. United States National, National Guard. I serve the United States government and I'm going to have to stop you. Even, even though I, I, I agree with what you're standing for, I can't allow this because I have a job to do. Right. And I like that point that the movie's making. I think yeah. it fits very well into the overall themes. Mm. Oh, so what I was going to say, <laughs> sorry, we're, the scene with the parents is interesting. And I, I see it say he bluntly orders his son to end the standoff. He yeah, smacked the, the smack shit in the out face. of his son to end the standoff. Don't beat your kids. No, don't beat your That's, kids. Especially I mean, because apparently, according from what we saw in the movie, it makes your kids more determined to continue their military standoff. Just understand that. I mean, slapping someone in the face, pretty blunt. Yeah. So accurate. <laughs> don't I don't guess, slap your kids in the face. I guess it's just a real light way of putting that. Yeah, I agree. And I think that that contributes to us being somewhat sympathetic to Moreland. You know, yeah. we can understand his motivation through a lot of this movie. Well, like, Moreland is definitely the sympathetic character in this. Like, the, he's definitely the protagonist, if we wouldn't necessarily say the... Like, his, he's not necessarily I, right the whole way through. I don't think Moreland is a bad guy. Oh. I think he's been warped by... I think General Beige is a bad guy because it seems like he's really warped these, especially the senior level kids who've been here for, you know, however many years. I don't know how, how many years, if they're doing middle school, like seven years or whatever, you know, listening to this guy's rhetoric and everything. And it just warps their minds or whatever. And they just have like this hero worship of General Beige. And I, I don't blame these kids at all. It's, well, maybe Sean a little bit, but yeah. I don't. Moreland seems actually like a good guy who's just a little... He, He's been manipulated a little bit by, uh, by an I authority mean, figure. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's almost like these intensely hierarchical systems exist to break people. And, you know, I mean, it's conditioning, essentially. It's, it's very much, we need you to act this way. And when, when certain things happen that are kind of outside their control, they still have to respond within this sort of generalized you know, framework because it's all they really know at this point. That's what they've been trained to do. That's what they're stuck in. Yeah. And again, I think this is, you know, you're, you're seeing, I guess, allegorically between the, the dad and Moreland, um, a slap. you see this lesson that, that the kids are going to learn at the end, right? Which is that just raw force is yeah. not necessarily going to accomplish your goal. Like if you just go and try to tell your kid to stop and then smack him in the face, you're just going to escalate things just like by taking control of the school you've just escalated things Mm -hmm. disagree raw force absolutely solved the national guards problem there but we'll get to that see i don't know that it did i think they would (laughs) consider uh i think they would consider that a failure yeah all right the next morning it is discovered that 11 cadets have fled moreland assembles the battalion to whom he again offers the opportunity to leave Led by Lieutenant West. Oh, sorry. I'm going to retcon something. I said that Lieutenant West at the beginning was Giancarlo Esposito. It is not. Sorry. That was was my fault. It's another guy who I don't know the actor's name. But led by Lieutenant West, a number of the cadets discard their weapons and leave. Shortly thereafter, the Academy's water and electricity are shut off. Cadet Pierce 
played by Giancarlo Esposito, uh-huh. is burned while restarting the school's gasoline power generator. And by burned, I mean he catches on fire completely. <laughs> An ambulance is permitted to enter and take the injured Pierce away. Colonel Kirby once again tries to reason with Moreland, and Moreland agrees, provided he be brought to the hospital and Bache orders him to stand down. Kirby says that Bache died the night before. The cadets hold a military memorial service in his honor to include a riderless horse. Even Kirby and the guardsmen stand at attention at the front gates. And I'm also going to bring up something with these cadets who who leave. It's something we 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 haven't talked about with uh, Sean mm-hmm. and his battalion. They seem they're they're the diff- red berets. Yeah, or whatever. They're, they're, they call themselves the red berets. They all wear red berets, and they seem more militarized than the rest of them. They're more, you know, probably just following Sean's lead. Um, only one of the red berets leaves and sh- before he leaves, Sean like runs up to him and he says like, don't you take that fucking beret when you leave and like, you know, get the fuck out of my sight or whatever. And just, just saw that. That's an interesting thing. That's something to point out about his personality and everything like that. So yeah, we're starting to get the yeah. feeling that Sean is a bit more extremist. Than, yes. Uh, Moylan starting. And a lot of his other just starting. Lieutenants. Yeah. And another another thing I, I just I just thought about his whole thing about you know he needs to be brought to the hospital so that Beish can like order him to stand down. I'm wondering would Beish have ordered him to stand down? Probably because and uh, like Beish definitely trained them into this, but I don't think his idea of this was ever oh you're going to fight the U.S. government for my school. No, I, th- I think. I think it is in his situation. He's like he would be like, "Oh shit, there are a bunch of kids about to die." Yeah, stop, stand down. Hopefully, you would hope. You would hope. But Moreland is incapable of doing that without direct orders. Yeah, yeah. I think we're starting to see the weakness of Moreland here. Is that he is, you know, he needs that that cop out to be able to go to the hospital and have somebody order him to stand down. But he's not willing. Daddy, tell me what to do. Responsibility. And, you know, just something about the way that he exists in this school's hierarchy is just like, no, I can't, I can't take the responsibility and take that hit. Yeah, he, mm-hmm. he almost acts like... I have to hide behind orders. Yeah, yeah, yeah he almost, he almost acts, acts like, you know, that last conversation he had with Beish was almost him ordering him to protect the school and, you know, keep the school from being closed down, which isn't what Beish said, but right. I, I feel like that's what Moreland took from that. So he needs a stand down order to supersede the orders he thinks he got because he's so ingrained in this military lifestyle that he has to, he, he basically can't think for himself. Right. He, he has to be ordered. Well, and this is constantly reinforced by Tom Cruise's character, mm-hmm. David Sean. Yes. Yeah, I got it right. Uh, but spider church, <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's constantly reinforced by him because like, his whole he's just looking for a fight mm-hmm. more than anything else he's looking for a fight a big last stand and he's looking to do this kind of honorable thing where he's kind of accepted this whole noble warrior view of himself mm. but Moreland yeah Moreland just doesn't seem to be able to find his own agency in all this mm-hmm. yeah and I think that they're both cautionary tales about the uh the nature of you know rigid hierarchical systems is that you might have people who are using the system as just kind of a veneer for in the case of the military like i just want to you know go fight i want to fight people or you know whatever their own personal purpose is and then you have some people who who hide behind it and abdicate responsibility right the next night a tank approaches the main gate two young cadets derek and charlie are on sentry duty derek the younger of the two panics and rushes to surrender Charlie tries to stop him. Derek drops his rifle, which goes off as it hits the ground. The guardsmen open fire. 
Derek safely reaches the gate, but Charlie is killed. So, so these are the, like the younger kids, right? Yeah, and these are like the first kids we saw too. If, I, if I'm remembering correctly, the, these are some of the first kids. Like one of the first scenes in the movie is Moreland coming into like a younger younger student's room and reprimanding them for like not having their clothes folded right or some shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they seem and, like they could be like 11 years old. This is like middle school age. Yeah. And, and it's these kids and they, they don't really stick with them much for the movie. They kind of cut back to them every now and then when they want an emotional bit, but it, it is kind of applied that in the same way Moreland has like that hero worship of general base. It's kind of implied that Charlie has that with Moreland. Yeah. Which is why, you know, Derek is the one who panics and runs and Charlie's trying like, no, we have to stay here and stop him. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing I want to point out, I understand why the guardsmen returned fire because in their mind, they were just shot at. It seemed excessive to an extent. Like, I feel like they unloaded on these little kids. So but, I mean, and the, you, you have this, it's, it's not as, it's not as clear cut and dry. If that was like the wrong or right thing to do, like it was with the whole, you know, right. General base fucking up with his gun safety thing but i'm just like i don't know it's just maybe maybe that maybe they were in that was like an acceptable thing for them to do and it just sucked that this little kid died i don't know the whole scene just felt really shitty yeah no definitely it felt bad on both sides and i think you know one of the things that made it tougher is in the scene if i remember correctly is it's like nighttime yeah. right and doesn't they have some like spotlights up or something mm-hmm. and so it you can see how it would be really difficult to tell what was going on and the kids are like hiding behind the sandbag Mm -hmm. so you can't really see you know how many kids there are where they are where shots are coming from yeah right and i mean you have a very tense situation and in which you're kind of already sort of on edge thinking that you know they might just start trying to fight especially because they're kids they don't know what they're going to do which then is going to put the people outside on edge because bullets might start flying at any moment but yeah. like my, my my knowledge of military protocol on this is very limited but my understanding is that you i'm not necessarily allowed to open fire first but you can once you've been fired upon you're supposed to yeah i mean i believe it's just i mean it's probably i believe it's the same as with law enforcement if someone it, it it's not it's much more strict well i think for same principle I, maybe i mean i think for both of them like I think with law enforcement, law enforcement, they can return fire even if you point a weapon at them. They, they don't. You don't actually have to fire your weapon if you point a weapon. You're allowed to open fire. No, it, it, it takes even less than that for law enforcement. Well, yeah, but uh, what I'm saying is, if so, if a bullet is shot towards law enforcement or military, I believe both of them have the right at that yeah. point to open fire. However, protocol anyway. Yeah. However, the National Guard did just kill. 12 year old kid for an accidental gun discharge and that feels really shitty whether or not yes. they reacted correctly to that situation or not and maybe it's just because we know it was accidental when it happened right. maybe that's why it feels even worse we don't get it from their perspective i don't know right. this whole scene just like i i don't like the scene yeah i mean no. i mean yeah. it, i don't think you're terrible. supposed to there's nothing you're supposed to like here yeah. a kid just died like yeah yeah like what? this is what is it god damn this <laughs> is be really the, sad and try to prevent future tragedies from happening yeah this is the uh this is the low point of the movie for me yeah this is sure. kind of the turning point i guess but oh yeah the part where the kid dies yeah kind of a low point yeah I mean, uh, also did we talk about the uh the parents uh being played over the loudspeaker did that happen already uh no they didn't that, really... ha- that would have happened at this point Sorry, yeah they, i'm not talking to the mic that would have happened at this point yeah, yeah they they started to do kind of a psychological warfare thing where they had this truck that would go around the perimeter of the school and it had these kids parents with recorded messages telling them to come home and they would just play it on loop for 24 hours a day well and that's yeah. part of and what encouraged like the first you know yeah this quote unquote ha- desertion yeah this actually happened 11. this actually happened it started happening 
well before because yeah. when they had that whole the first meeting where it's like if you want to leave leave and nobody left and then they started doing that and then 11 people deserted yeah and we psychological to see, warfare yeah we started to see the young that the younger kids especially were very affected by this when yeah they're like taking their night watch and having to listen yeah. to their parents the whole exactly. time so we can see why derek was trying to desert right here also let's maybe not put an 11 and a 12 year old kid on sentry duty right next to the main gate where a tank mm-hmm. is i mean let's not let a 16 year old run a military school <laughs> you know that too <laughs> no no it seems like it's going fine yeah Anyways, Charlie's death weakens Moreland's resolve, and Dwyer persuades him to end the occupation. They muster the cadets and order them to stand down. Everyone complies, except Sean, who opens fire from the barracks with an M60 machine gun. As the guardsmen return fire, Dwyer and Moreland rush inside to stop Sean. When Moreland attempts to stop Sean, they are both riddled with bullets. Dwyer carries Moreland's body out of the barracks as Kirby, the National Guardsman, and the remaining cadets look on. Well, shit. (laughs) It's beautiful, man. A lot of dead people here. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yep. Because Tom Cruise's character is fucking insane. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that he that's was, how he wanted to go out. Yeah, I mean, they didn't they didn't really go over his kind of, I mean, you could probably imply this, but in the movie, Sean is very upset about the fact that they're giving up and is, you know, basically fighting Moreland and Dwyer the whole way. I'm, I'm pretty sure him and Dwyer actually get into it. At one point, like yeah, they I like mean, this is an argument all the way through, and there, there's um, Dwyer is Moreland's roommate, right? Yeah, that's Sean Penn's character. Okay, yeah. got it. The, the one who, um, the one who, he's basically from the get go has been kind of like not okay with what they're doing, yeah. but he's Moreland's friend, so he's kind of backing up Moreland, and then it just after Charlie died, he's just like, dude, right? We we need to stop this right now. And yeah. th- there was this whole scene a bit earlier that we didn't really cover, but. Where they're kind of in there with the other quote-unquote officers or whoever, maybe some yeah, of they, the other kids. They have their officers meeting. But they're they're just kind of sort of, I guess, where they would be watching TV, but there's no TV. And they're just kind of, they're doing a little bit of a performance where it's sort of, it starts off comedic and then it builds to like kind of mocking what's going on, mocking Moreland to some extent, mocking the people in charge. Yeah, he's really starting to lose control of right. even his officers. And this is Dwyer. This is the guy that's been kind of portrayed as his, almost his like best friend mm-hmm. going through this. And then Moreland comes in. He's obviously pissed because they're making fun of him or like hurting troop morale or whatever it is they want to call it. And then tom cruise's character comes in and it fucking ends like they just he pushes people out it almost breaks out into a full-on fight but yeah, well i was thinking didn't didn't dwyer and and sean actually like get into a little bit of a scuffle there for a little bit i think so i, I vaguely remember you'll have to I, forgive us I mean, folks because again yeah, this is the it, second it, time we're recording and this. it has also been a while since we've watched this so i don't remember every detail but i'm pretty sure that dwyer and sean actually do get into a little bit of a scuffle and i think moreland may be involved in that as well because so i think that was after the death of charlie or, sorry not death um it was oh, after, after the pierce. injury of pierce gotcha um when, when he caught on fire i think they kind of got into it after that because Tensions are running high yes. in, in the Bunker Hill Military Academy between these people. But anyways, back to what I was saying, Sean is basically just super pissed that they're giving up. And his response to that is to open fire with a very large machine gun at the United States National Guard, who currently have Good a move. tank. 
Good move. Not a great idea. Yeah. No, no. Like that's. But it's beautiful, that, man. That's it's a big beautiful. dick energy. BD. Yeah, it's a lovely line. From Tom Cruise <laughs> right big <there>. dick boy. <laughs> big dick <laughs> boy. But <laughs> this is the moment after the low of the movie where Charlie is yes. dead, where we start to see Moreland actually take Lead. responsibility like a leader should. Yeah. And even when he's already kind of resigned and he doesn't have any power left, he not only takes responsibility in that he immediately tries to stop Tom Cruise's character, but also because he tries to save Tom Cruise's character from getting killed and ends up dying at the same time. Yeah. So you see him actually he, be a leader the, here, the, but the it's noble too late. sacrifice. Yeah. The noble sacrifice right if, there. If he would have just waited or just not run in the room, only Tom Cruise would be dead. And yeah. yeah. He, and he would have been standing there at the doorway really like ooh. Change the okay. outcome, but I think you're supposed to feel like it's because that's what a real leader would have done at that moment. Yes. Right. And you know, I he is friends with Sean. They're mm-hmm. they're, they're friends. Like it, the entire officer corps before this were seemed to be pretty chummy and you know they were hanging out with each other and everything and you know yeah they have differing opinions on how to handle the situation but you know he's trying to save his friend who going a little little cuckoo bananas but you know no uh he's acting with honor mm. sir i don't know about that but <laughs> yeah I, I yeah i would say that uh, he's acting with uh, murderous intent yes which is not great aka not honor super honorable i, I will and this I mean, we're only second movie here, but I think it's worth noting because I've, you know, I, I, I know, I know pretty much all there is with about Tom Cruise's filmography. He doesn't play villainous roles very often. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and th- this one, I kind of counts, I guess. Yeah. He, he ends up being not a good character, but I mean, I don't know if this yeah. one. He's not. He's not a straight antagonist in that sense, but this. It's interesting, you know, his second role ever, he's playing a more villainous role, which is something that he does not do very often. Like, you know, he's been in 40-odd movies and two of them. And two the heroic lead in a lot of yeah, them. Yeah, two or three yeah. of them he plays a villain. Yeah. I, honestly, I would love Only, to see him play more of the bad guy, personally. Yeah. I think I think he would do a great job with it. Well, I mean, he, he is very good because, I mean, mm-hmm. the movies I'm thinking off the top of my head are Collateral and where he plays a hitman and um, Interview with a Vampire. And the Jamie Foxx movie? Yes. Uh, hang and on. D- does Les Grossman not count as an antagonist? No. <laughs> but but no, in both of those movies, you know, Collateral, he's fa- that's actually one of my favorite roles of Tom Cruise. And I think he plays a he like a confident villain, like just like a really confident like villain who just like, you know, controls everything. He just does that so well. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, he has a natural charisma. Like he's a very charismatic person. You can that comes through in his acting. And when you add that to a villainous role, it just it's perfect to me, but yeah. I mean, that's not really something he likes to do. And then, you know, in an interview with the vampire is not a super great movie, but he's fantastic. Like he's, he's by far the best part. I think the problems with that movie lie in Brad Pitt's character, but getting a little ahead of ourselves. But, yeah. I'll have to take a word for that until <laughs> I actually watch it. Yeah. But anyways, what I'm saying is Tom Cruise, despite c- clearly not a love for playing the role since he doesn't take them actually does a very good villain and it's a shame that we don't get we don't get more of that in his filmography because he really shines in that. If you're listening to this, Tom, you need to be yeah. the villain of the next Mission Impossible movie. Oh, n- oh but like no. in a <laughs> Diesel kind of way where we know you're not the villain the whole time. 
Oh, is it, it going to yeah, yeah. be... I need you to end uh, the next uh, Mission Impossible movie okay, with so a Hail Hydra or something. It's going to be like every other... Don't do that. It's going to be like every <laughs> other Mission Impossible where where former IMF agents are the villains, but it turns out it's Ethan Hunt all along. It's been the long con. He's been oh a villain the whole time. Oh, my God. Cool. This I would is watch, the long play. I would watch the shit out oh, of that movie. Oh, that'd be beautiful. It'd be a great People would twist. be so mad. <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you guys got anything else on tap? Uh, no, I mean, I'll just say that, again, I like that this movie was trying to be about something. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought they did a good job of drawing some, like, criticisms of, like, ways you can go wrong with, I mean, if not, like, military culture, but, like, rigid hierarchies and drawing mm-hmm. contrasts between people who were sort of, like, actual public servants and then people who were just, like, playing at, like, an aesthetic that they had in their head, mm-hmm. you know, people doing war as dress-up or something like that. Playing soldier. Yeah, people playing soldier. And then dying. Uh-huh. All right. Now let's get into some fun facts and background info about taps. This movie also, also success. You know, is back to back successful movies for Tom Cruise, despite the fact that you know he's they're all the successful. Lead. Well, not necessarily. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. This one's made on an estimated $14 million budget, made uh, almost $36 million box office. So solid, solid box office there. Um, yeah, he, uh, he does run. In this. <laughs> it's two, yeah. two for two on the running. Uh, he also marches. He does and march. fires I mean, an M60. Well, not actually. <laughs> Can we keep but, a count on how many times he fires an M60 in movies? Uh, one, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> and do, do you think he did his own stunts? Did he have stunts well, he, to th- do? There weren't, there weren't stunts to do. The reason why he doesn't <laughs> do his own stunts in all of his movies is because some of the movies don't have stunts for him to f- perform. Okay. Because. Sounds like a cop app. Uh, go on. Well, these first two movies, he doesn't really have any stunts to perform, so he doesn't perform his own stunts. However, mm-hmm. in the next movie we're going to watch, The Outsiders, he does perform his own stunts. So. I think we'll any, talk about that. I think any time that there's stunts to perform, this crazy son of a bitch does them. So <laughs> no matter how crazy they are, and they get fucking crazy. So <laughs> stay gold, hey, dude. Uh, we'll get. Uh, come on, spoilers. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yeah. The crazy thing about this movie, though, is that Tom Cruise was not actually supposed to have a speaking role. Yes, in this movie. He was originally cast as a background oh, character. Really? Did yeah. I just like, not remember that from the last time we did this? No, I, yeah, I guess not. Like, no, he, was, he was supposed to like they all all the actors in this did essentially did military school for mm-hmm. a short period of time to kind of try to get the feel down for it. And apparently, Tom was so outstanding that he and that they offered him the role of David Sean, which he he tried to refuse. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's a young kid. He's still yeah. 19 at this point. Maybe he's like, he's like, well, you know, you cast me as this and I, I don't want to step on people's toes or anything like that. Right. But, you know, this, and what, what it, I mean, it's hard to speculate what would have happened with his career, but like, did this movie give him more roles? Maybe would he have not have been as big as, I mean, I don't, I don't know if Tom Cruise was ever destined to not be a huge movie star. I think that's kind of just his his fate or whatever but i don't know like there's a there's a lot of stuff like this is the start but there's a lot of stuff coming up where it's like there's a lot of times where his career could have basically just stalled out and you know obviously it didn't but like 
this is one of them. Like if he would have successfully turned this down, if they wouldn't be able to talk him into it, you know, he's just some random character in the background that doesn't have any words. Like, right. Yeah. Cause he has a lot of good moments here that kind of showcase his ability to do crazy off the wall stuff, you mm-hmm. know, like really over the top stuff, but I mean, also uh, more subtle acting. I mean, it's not as obvious in this one, but I would still argue that he's probably the best actor in this movie. I mean, it's not as obvious as Endless Love because, yeah. you know, Sean Penn and Timothy Hutton, you know, mm-hmm. they're they're good actors. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's up there, there. There's not really bad acting in this movie. This movie's no. actually pretty well acted, especially considering a lot of these are a lot of these guys are, you know, in their teens. Yeah, so. I think the biggest criticism you could level at this movie is that it, it is kind of slow at times. Mm-hmm. But it's it's I mean, the whole plot is very slow burn. The tension comes from the military standoff and it only really breaks that one time. Mm-hmm. So, like it's hard to do more action than that. Yeah. And, uh, this, uh, this was the first, the, the film debut, uh, our first feature film, at least for Sean Penn. Okay. So another, another, um, future, pretty big movie star in this one. Uh, Tim- Timothy, Timothy Hutton never got masses, but you know, also event this, this is a pretty early movie for him as well. And, you know, he, he's, he's a lot of people know who he is. He's a pretty popular actor too. So, you know, this is, with with this movie and the outsiders coming up next there's a lot of like who's who of future movie stars in there like isn't timothy hutton is he in leverage is that his yes. big thing okay. well that and uh, that's house the, on haunted hill oh uh, okay he, go oh, watch it now it's oh, pretty there you good go. look at that he's still, he's still oh wait 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 hang on sorry haunting of hill house Haunting, haunting of Hill, huh? yeah, Hill House, haunted, yeah, haunted, haunted haunting, hill of, house. haunting of Hill House, haunting of Hill House. Wait, is, is he the dad in that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's where you know <laughs> now, Timothy Hutton. Now from. you know Timothy Hutton. Sorry. That, that show Despite we... the fact that you've already watched a movie with him in it, where he's the main character. Well, yes. I know. I know. <laughs> I know him from that. I. I yeah, it was a mix up. But Honey Hill House also great. Yeah, he's really good in it. Yeah. He's the old dad, not the young dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, Timothy Hutton actually was already a little. A little big coming into this movie because apparently he had just won an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. Interesting. I am going through the IMDb trivia right here. Wait, he'd already won. Hang on, he'd already won an Oscar, and you said he was a. He was, was his first big film. How dare I you? I didn't say it was his first big film. I think that it was one of his earlier films. This was Sean Penn's yeah. first film. That's right. Yeah. Uh, apparently, over two thousand young actors were interviewed to play the military cadets in this movie, and so. Like that said, Tom Cruise ended up within just that kind of like basic group of he had to deal with over 2000 other people and then was still an on speaking role and yeah. just kind of he performed. Hmm. He performed and pulled it out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he used his acting ability to get through to 2000 people and then, you know, do something that normally doesn't happen to your background character and they offer you an entire part. That's actually a pretty, yeah. a pretty hefty part. It's really impressive. Yeah. And I mean, it, yeah, it's and just I mean, beautiful, that, man. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it, we're, we're really seeing like early on, even though he's not, he's not having huge roles. We're really seeing like, you know, the future star that's about to come out with this guy. Like he's, he's, he's been great since day one. So would you say that in this movie, a star is born? <sighs> no. Uh, hang on. I just want to I want to point this out because IMDb trivia here says that this was Tom Cruise's first speaking role, which is not true. I think there have like really specific definitions of yeah, what speaking role is in the I also, Guild or something. I also want to say there's something about like 
he filmed this first. Okay. I so can it see may that. be something like that. I don't know. There's with these first movies for sure, like for sure, like these first like four or so movies, it's really convoluted about when he's filming them and when they come out. Like, I think he already had taps filmed when he did endless love, but endless love was released first. Yeah. I don't know. There, there's a, there's a lot of timeline, uh, timeline jumping and stuff, you know, like, for example, getting a little ahead, but you know, with losing it, which was his first starring role, he was already filming Risky Business at the time, mm-hmm. which is something that you know is probably a good thing considering how uh, how losing <laughs> it how losing it did. But you know, oh, we'll get to that. Yeah, that's, we're gonna uh, have a great time with that. God damn it! Recording that again. <laughs> losing it was it all the money that they invested in the movie? Cruising <laughs> it, shot fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. The- I forgot about this. It's funny. Is uh, the film was originally going to be filmed at an actual military academy, Riverside Military Academy, mm-hmm. uh, and but then it got bulldozed for condos. No, once they uh, once they saw, heard the end of the movie, they're like, "Yeah, no, not here. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> so. Oh no, no, not here, sweetie. No, <laughs> sorry." Oh, actually, apparently, as a lot of uh, a lot of different military schools, it was supposed to be at. It was supposed to be at a Fishburne Military Academy, but the tank did not fit in the archway, <laughs> so the setting was changed. They had a real tank, apparently. Jesus. Yeah. I mean, they had a bunch of real National Guardsmen and all that come out. So, mm-hmm. You know, well, I guess that's true. I mean, that okay. So that's one way that I don't know how far back this started, but I know that's one way that some movies get funding and the kind of extras they need is that they get you know some help and some support from the state department. They can't like department of defense does some backup for some movies like this, but I, I can't, this also doesn't necessarily seem like a movie that they would throw into. This is also interesting. Another, another military Academy in potential to be filmed at Carson long military military Academy in uh-huh. long Bloomfield, Pennsylvania. They learned after they after they learned that the school's gymnasium would be destroyed during filming. They rejected the offer, despite the fact that a new and better gymnasium would be built in its place at the expense of the film's budget. So they actually blew the shit out of the actual gymnasium of the school, and then part of the budget was rebuilding it. That's <laughs> fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like, there's no sets. They they just literally blew up the school. <laughs> that's, uh, I'm sorry, that's, that's, that's that's I did not realize that. I love it. All right. Y'all got anything else? No. All right. And that's all we have on taps. If you like this episode, make sure to rate us five stars on iTunes and make sure to check out our Facebook and Twitter at Cruising It Pod for info on upcoming episodes and general news. Join us next time when we watch The Outsiders. I'm Donovan Bruce. I'm Andrew Mount. Social media is toxic. Uh, do not follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Delete your social media. And I'm Mason Kuzmich. And, um, you know, social media is toxic, but you should just follow us. And that is at CruisinitPod, C-R-U-I-S-I-N-I-T-P-O-D. And you've been listening to Cruising It. Do 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 do
That was beautiful. That was the best. Best spontaneous transition ever. Leave that in, please.